Welcome to Antimatterpod, a reasonably misandrist Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, <laughs> feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing the fifth episode of Star Trek Picard, Stardust City Rag. And I have to say, like, watching this episode twice and thinking about it and talking about it with people, I came to a really important revelation. What's that? This is not a good series, and that's okay. interesting interesting it's like voyager it's got amazing characters a fascinating premise the writing is a complete mess and jerry ryan comes in halfway through and takes over (laughs) wow that works way better than it should Mm -hmm. right down to you know a certain level of inconsistency and the approach to the main character yep (laughs) oh my gosh picard is the new janeway yeah yeah <gasps> it explains everything i really like this 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 take expectations and competing agendas that no one completely agrees on what they're going for with the character so he changes a little with every writer that is an amazing hot take and i approve <laughs> thank you but the thing is voyager is my favorite trek and yeah i love disco because it's also messy so I know this is being marketed as serious prestige television and the first adult drama in Star Trek, which, wow. But that's okay. It's not that. And and that's fine. My expectations are adjusted appropriately. Picard literally wore a eye patch and And spoke a a terrible French accent (laughs) for like three minutes in this episode, okay? There is zero percent chance this is prestige television. You know that, and I know that. I just don't know that CBS knows that. And it shouldn't be. No! Picard in an eye patch with a terrible French accent is way better than (laughs) prestige television. Way better. You know, sometimes I just think we cannot impose too much seriousness on this genre, and that's good. Yeah. Why does everything have to be so serious all the time? Right. Like, you know what's a really good adult drama in space? The Expanse. I love The Expanse. It's brilliant. I love reading it. I love watching it. I love thinking about it. Not everything has to be that. This is Star Trek and yes, there was sophisticated political commentary. And then there was also William Shatner fighting a lizard and getting his shirt ripped. And that was a good balance that everybody liked. Yeah. So, yes, Star Trek Picard is a mess. And I'm sad about that. And I'm always going to look at some plot threads and go, why did they do this? Uh, Or I see no possible way this can end well. But I have to stop expecting it to be good in any objective sense. And I like that. I don't know if I ever expected it to be good in that in the way that you're describing. Yeah. So I think I came to it already on the, this is, it's a Picard show. I saw all of TNG and all of the TNG movies mm. and none of that <laughs> was good in the objective good like sense. I, but I've, I don't care. It was great. I would disagree. I think there is some outstanding work done in TNG, but it's also the minority. And again, that is okay. Well, we're here to be entertained. I don't. I don't consider one or two episode outlier prestige television as carrying the whole series. Like one amazing episode doesn't make seven seasons. Deep Space Nine is considered to be the best of that or Mm. whatever and it's not my favorite series because of that right i was thinking about this as well deep space nine is objectively the best written and most consistently good of all of the star treks and it's great it's a really wonderful show it's not my favorite and also like i love the expanse but i love like 30 percent of the expanse oh that's interesting And the rest of it is stuff that i enjoy in a 
sci-fi way that has cool characters that I like, mm -hmm. but but it's not that passion because it's just not it's not for me. It's not that those aren't things that interest me, and so I don't care. And I don't care. Like it doesn't make it it doesn't make it less enjoyable for me. It just means that I'm not paying as much attention to that stuff. No, I, that's it's fair. hard to explain. No, no, it makes sense to me, but. I don't think it's coincidence that I came to this realisation that Picard is the new Voyager in an episode written by Kirsten Beyer, who has spent the last decade writing Star Trek Voyager novels. Yes. And I am really, really glad that she was the one to reintroduce Seven of Nine. Yeah, I, I have to say, I mean, that's why I wanted to talk about her. First of all, because, you know, of our, our what is it? What are we this week? Reasonably misandrist or reasonably misandrist podcast? I don't want to make promises that we can't <laughs> fulfill. Promises are prisons. Because we, we've talked about the shortcomings mm -hmm. in Michael Chabon's writing somewhat. And so I thought it wasn't fair to not talk about Kristen Beyer because she's the sole writer on this. Yes. I absolutely agree with you. I'm very glad that she wrote seven's return mm. i i think she writes like a novelist too though she does and <laughs> truthfully i don't think she's necessarily the best star trek writer on any staff right now but she does things that i really enjoy you know her first solo episode for discovery was the one with the long latin title with the saru plot but it also has the scene where uh cat cornwell bonds with laurel and right. this has the scene that doesn't really add anything. It's just pure character where Rafi has that brief exchange with Seven of Nine. And that's why I like Baia's writing, that she takes the time to flesh out the women and give, mm. them, give them important character notes. So, yeah, I don't think she's a great, great with plot. I think she's also a relatively inexperienced television writer, uh, more experienced than Chabon. But... I like her. I think, I think she and I have similar priorities. That's fair. Mm. They did it again where they assumed that the bad guy was... Male. A yes. boy. Stop it, guys. But the bad guy mm. <laughs> was a very interesting woman. Ah. Bejazel and Seven of Nine. Totally a thing, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Hardcore. If Bejazel was a guy, then all this talk of... I guess she didn't want you to know about our close personal relationship would be completely unambiguous that they were lovers and he, Bejazel, betrayed Seven. And so I don't... I'm, Seven of Nine is confirmed queer, but not quite confirmed queer. And, like, the coyness irritates me. I don't need everything to be spelt out, but this franchise does not have a lot of goodwill in terms of depicting queerness yet. So... Yeah, I, it annoys me that we're not specifically told that they had a thing, but it's implied enough that I think it's uh, undeniable. And I liked Bejazel, but I liked seeing her die. And, you know, <laughs> she broke Seven. You don't get to do that. I'm sorry. Seven is like my sister. You, you, can't, you can't hurt her and not expect consequences. What I really liked is that Seven played that she was that she was taking a, a different direction mm. and sort of made sure that everybody was okay yeah and then went down and just destroyed <laughs> that was amazing I guess it's ambiguous I don't think it's not ambiguous to me I really feel like Picard knew what was going on there oh yeah I don't think he's an idiot I think that there was that moment when she asked for the phasers and he sort of did this sort of reaction to himself uh he didn't say anything to her he just sort of had a, a interior moment mm. but it was very clear to me that he understood what was going on and he wasn't going to stop her you know he was like i i've said my piece and it's okay and i was like oh good job picard that was like a growth moment for you right right i'm so <sighs> happy with what they did with picard's character this week and i think he was really well written and I loved his interactions with Seven. And you're right, I think he knew exactly what she intended to do. And he knew that he couldn't stop her. And he also knew that she would be going in with or without the phases. And 
if he gives her some weapons, then she's more likely to come out of it alive, and he doesn't yep. have to answer to Catherine Janeway. And I also liked that he didn't barge into Raffi's room. Yeah, yeah. And confront her or force her to talk about it. He just said, yeah, yeah, sure, we're... I'm glad we're, you're we're back. Gonna let that go. Yeah, yeah, you're safe, and I'm happy about that, and and we're good. We're gonna we're gonna table for the rest. He has finally learned the lessons that have been hammered into his big bald head for the last five episodes, and it's great. <laughs> Even his bit with Elnor, you know, just be Elnor. That's what that kid needed. Oh, poor Elnor! I love him so much. Elnor, who doesn't speak? He just wants. He just wants to be a part of things. I hope that he gets a chance to demonstrate his intelligence, but he is very much a fish out of water right now, and I'm kind of enjoying that. It's just so sweet. He doesn't have a cat yet. I don't know if you've noticed, but we, we don't have a cat. Yeah, we need the cat. Yeah. The cat needs to happen. They have holodecks. So they can make a holocat. Is a holocat really as satisfying as the real thing? It would. It, he could get, you know, he could get used to a hollow cat mm. and then have a... I mean, you're not going to find a real one in the middle of space or on an ancient dead Borg cube, <laughs> so... I, I am certain you could buy a real cat on FreeCloud. <laughs> I don't think you can buy a real anything on FreeCloud. <laughs> well, I don't know. That I, I assume that they're... Uh, obstetrics and reproductive services are legit <laughs> since you know Rafi doesn't seem to be freaking out that that that's where they are yeah yeah but why are they there i'm I, curious i don't know <laughs> uh, it makes no sense to me <laughs> we've gotten very out of order in our little list and <laughs> you're tired so i'm going to take control and we're just going to okay. go through these dot points in order so seven of nine ranger vigil anti marquee and Icheb's death, which really, really shocked me. I was not surprised at all. I guessed that Icheb was the one she was cradling in the... Really? I did, yes. How? Because of anyone on Voyager, he was the one who she had that relation, that close a relationship with, like that important a relationship mm. to, who they could kill off and we wouldn't riot. That makes a certain amount of sense. Yes, okay, I can see that. I did not see it coming at all, and even when they panned over his face, I was like, that looks like Icheb, but there is no way they're bringing back such an obscure character. Oh, I, well, what do I know? <laughs> uh, the original actor who played Icheb on Voyager, who does not appear here, kind of grew up to be a troll and spent a couple of years abusing Anthony Rapp on Twitter for his accusations against Kevin Spacey and mm -hmm. I'm sure that's not the reason behind the decision to kill Icheb which I think really did serve the plot but I'm sure it made it a bit easier yeah I've I mean people seem to be pretty it's it's been controversial yeah and the level of violence there was absolutely shocking and I was not prepared for eyeball shenanigans before breakfast it was like a horror movie yeah but I think the visceral nature of it really drove home how much this has broken Seven of Nine. And right. where I think it went too far is in having her mercy kill him. I think that was unnecessary and sort of over-egged the pudding. But at the same time, you know, others. I think, but, I think that's more subjective. I mean, I feel like that's why she's so angry. Yeah, that she had to that she had to do this as well as that this was done. Right. That, you know, it, they, it's turned her into something. I mean, that's mm. what, what really hurts you is when you realize that you have, pa you know, you've gone past some arbitrary line mm. because of what happened. And so it, we are all trapped in our own lives, right? We all, our own point of view is the only point of view that we can ever really have. Even as much as we can be compassionate and try and empathetic and try to understand what other people are coming from and what other people are seeing, 
it's still our idea of what they are feeling or thinking or doing. Right. So when something that you personally do creates that feeling of I've I've changed, I've crossed the arbitrary line, I've done something horrible that I need to atone for or whatever. Like it creates more rage than if something is done to you or to someone you love. That hadn't occurred to me, and I think you're right, so I'm going to walk back my criticism of the (laughs) (laughs) over-egging. I mean, this just goes back to the fact that Anakin Skywalker is my favourite fictional character of all fictional characters. These are the kind of things that I think about. Mm. I guess it's also you can't have a redemption arc without doing something wrong. And I don't know that Seven necessarily did something wrong here, but I think she looks back and wonders. Right. She, she has that feeling. And yeah. the reason that she's so she's angry enough to disintegrate Jay... Yeah. Someone that she cared about for, for whatever you want to define that. She cared about her. Mm. There were feelings involved. She was, she was in that moment and she was able to do it because of how much rage she had about what she had become. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I just, Seven is so different here from the woman she was on Voyager but there are still glimpses of that very reserved, formal personality. And obviously, you know, she's been through a lot and she's changed, but I think deep down she is still that person. But this is protective colouring. And I think that's the exact phrase Jerry Ryan has used somewhere. And I just thought Mm. the part was really well written. I loved the scene between Seven and Picard. All of them, yeah. Well, yes, yes, all of them. But the, like, four-line exchange about being assimilated and unassimilated Mm. was, first of all, amazing that they could convey so much in those four lines. I mean, just the way Patrick Stewart delivered the line, no, (laughs) (laughs) was amazing. Honestly, his whole performance as as Picard is, quote-unquote, selling Seven and, and, and... persuading them of her value it is so chilling the way he speaks about her and you know once they're assimilated they they can never come back they're always defiled you know I think that there is valid psychology in the idea that a person can only speak a terrible truth when they're playing a part but at the same time yes at the same time I really wish that that line hadn't been delivered with a comedy French accent because it is so key to Picard oh absolutely and his he, worst he's fears. only able yes he's only able to to play it but maybe i as you say maybe he can't say it oh oh that. no I, I think he absolutely needs that distance but i as a person who generally doesn't enjoy shenanigans like holodeck episodes and whatever in star trek i wish it had been played a little bit straighter like Maybe Patrick Stewart's French accent is just not very good. I don't want to put that out there, but apparently he doesn't speak very good French. And Anyway, it was such an amazing <laughs> and important insight into the character that I wish I could separate it from my own secondhand embarrassment about the costumes and the accents and all of that. I loved Rio's costume. <laughs> Cards eye patch actually really annoyed me because he kept putting it on his head. Yeah. And- and I understand, but it was so annoying to me. It was like, why are you having an eye patch if you're not going to wear it? Yeah, it, once again, I wanted it to be a little bit more futuristic and cool. And the beret was fine. I liked the beret, but the eye patch was maybe a step too far. I don't know. I, I liked the, the feather in Rios's cap, and I like that Seven of Nine has uh, sufficient understanding of drama and visual flair. To, to suggest it. <laughs> it was fine. Yes. Then we have Agnes, who did not get a costume. <sighs> I don't know where to go. I don't like it. I don't like her relationship with... It's Chris just Maddox. skeezy. 
And he I... looks like Michael Sheen in season three of The Good Fight, which Ew. was not a role I enjoyed and honestly made me hate Michael Sheen and apparently hate all men with grey hair and curly hair and beards. <laughs> so Bruce never stood a chance with me, but I, I just I enjoyed watching him die. Uh, I am very concerned about Agnes. Not so much what her fate will be, because I don't... See, my instinct about Agnes is that she's not going to die, but she might have to suffer consequences for her choices, like murder. Which, I guess is fair. I suppose. But my concern is that her quote-unquote contribution to Daj and Soji was biological rather than intellectual. Yeah. I didn't even imagine that until you said it, and I I'm was like, sorry. oh no! You know, multiple people have said that to me, and I'm really sorry that I put it out there, and I hope I'm wrong, and I don't want to get angry about things before they actually happen on screen. Like, this, on this idea so far only exists in my head, as far as we know. But this is a story where two women have essentially lost their families, lost their children, in different ways, and I worry that Agnes is going to complete the trifecta. I, I, I didn't like anything about Agnes this week, I'll just say that. I, I wanted Agnes to be the character that she was introduced as. Confident and... And quirky and fun and... I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not opposed to complex characters. I just don't like the directions that they're taking her. I don't... I don't really want her to be brainwashed and or coerced through truth, mm. you know, whatever. She's learned the Jat Vash... Secret that... Secret that... Only the dead whatever can Lars. keep. Yeah, so... Like it's that's all bad and and i hate the bruce maddox connection bruce maddox was a complete like he did not matter in this episode at all he was just a, a plot point MacGuffin necessary thing that they like he was the problem that they had to solve and he had this secret information that they needed yeah and he could have been a, like a computer program or a cell phone and I think I would have preferred that because it wouldn't have gotten Agnes trapped in this creepy weird possible baby thing yeah I just I don't understand where they're going with her or what they're doing with the character and I wish I knew that the writers understood how skeevy the relationship with her and Maddox is and probably like maybe that's intention maybe like maybe they are aware and this awfulness is intentional i just don't have a lot of faith in them and i, I what would be the intent if it was intentional yeah to show that bruce maddox is not a cool guy because we figured that out we, we, we were already aware yeah, we, we knew that in his first appearance. Yeah. And again, this literally tells us nothing more about Bruce Maddox. Nothing. <laughs> he, he makes chocolate chip cookies? Is that what we're... Yeah, I can make chocolate chip cookies. I mean, it's not that exciting. Was that supposed to be cute? I think it was. Okay, so someone whose entire life has been about creating artificial life doesn't like replicated chocolate chip cookies cool yeah like what i don't i, I don't know I, it, it feels like they pulled a character trait out of a box like there was a box and it had little cards with ideas on it like he doesn't like broccoli or when he goes out he always likes to walk in this direction away from his home and the card they pulled out was he likes to bake and she was crying about it because she knew he, she was going to kill him? Yeah. And I think, I think when she's freaking out about the transporter, what she's really freaking out about is working killing herself him. up to killing him. Yeah. Which is cool Absolutely. and everything. But I have a hard time seeing his death as a negative. <laughs> which is possibly the problem. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, like, I watched Measure of a Man just recently, and... 
I'm having a really hard time reconciling the dickishness of Maddox in that episode with the particular dickishness of Maddox here. Like, either way, he's not a particularly cool guy, although I think he starts to redeem himself at the end of Measure of a Man. I'm sorry, I just dropped my pencil. I'm just waving as I speak. Uh, <laughs> but he is a whole different kind of personality here. And he's also been recast, so there's no continuity whatsoever. And I just don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand either. I just, I didn't like that entire part of the episode. Mm. Which, that, and that's just me. That's just me. Like, no, that's just no. my personal negativity, but. No, that's how I feel also. And it's exactly how I feel about the Unum Cormac novel, where I loved everything except the Agnes plotline. So, hopefully, we'll, we, with Maddox dead, I suppose someone's going to ask questions about that, but. Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully we'll get some more Commodore O. I think she improves everything. Uh, if Agnes wanted to hook up with her instead of Maddox, I think I would be okay with that. Um, <laughs> I do not want Agnes to be the villain of the piece because I like her a lot. But maybe if they do it well, that would be okay. I don't know. I need to see how this is going. One thing I really liked in this episode, and it has nothing to do with Agnes, is Rafi. <laughs> Yes! I loved everything, Rafi. The scene with her son is so painful to watch because she has handled this wrong in every possible respect. <laughs> you know, turning up without warning, just going, oh, hey, I'm cool now, everything's good, when she is clearly at the beginning of that journey, not the end, or even particularly far along the way. Yeah, she makes so many mistakes, and I love it because she's trying so hard. And I think her son, yet another Gabriel, is <laughs> completely right in not opening the door for her. You know, I think this is one of those terrible cases where everyone is doing their best and everyone has good intentions. And yeah, there's no villain here, but Rafi is in the wrong. There's also no solution. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, when she said... I'm clean. And I was sort of mm. like, for what, a day? <laughs> like, yeah, like two weeks? <laughs> like, this is not, you are not clean. You no. Are, you, are, you are hoping to become clean, and I support you in, in every way for that. However, you, you can't be saying that right now. No, and no. And you're ambushing him at the OBGYN. <laughs> like... This is the wrong place yeah. for this whole thing to happen. Like, at least send a note. But it did feel like Rafi is intelligent and brilliant, but she's also impulsive. And I think we even see that in the way she's pacing in the flashback in the third episode, the one that introduces her properly. And I remember you talking right. about how energetic she is. She is a great analyst for other people and other cultures, but she doesn't analyse herself. Right. And she clearly has, she definitely has been, it's suggested and, and we've seen when she's doing her research mm. that she gets stuck in that. Yeah. That she starts trying to figure out a problem and it captures her and that's the only thing that matters. I mean, that definitely Picard, like, implied that yes and and we've seen it and the way that gabriel described how she became after everything went down with the verity and the synths it's it's clear she just she got stuck in that place of i need to solve this and i need to convince people that that i've that i have solved it i need to show them and that became the only thing that mattered. Right. And it seems like, and I almost feel like this whole trip to Free Cloud, she's been trying to solve this problem of fix everything with my son. Yes. And that's why she's so, she's like really desperate. And yet when he says, you know, just say that you were wrong and she can't because that's still the one thing that she's never been able to, mm, to prove. Yeah. And and to be fair to Rafi, Picard has shown up and said, oh, you were right, my bad. 
So yeah, yeah. Like all of the things that she's believed all these years are starting. Like people are starting to come on board with her ridiculousness. So she's feeling better about it. Yeah, but she clearly has an obsessive and addictive personality, and exactly. this drives her once made her a great intelligence analyst and first officer to Picard, but your strength is also your weakness. And I think that's really good writing. And I think it's really consistent with everything we've seen of Rafi. And I also think like, we do not often see women and mothers apologizing to their kids for their crazy conspiracy obsession. Usually that's a masculine thing. Mm -hmm. And, I saw a post on Reddit and it was downvoted into oblivion because it was <laughs> criticising. Uh, but pointing out that the African-American woman promising her kid that she's clean now and it's all okay is really a cliche for that demographic. And it's kind of problematic. And I agree. Like, it mm -hmm. was a little, a little on the nose. But at the same time, the gender thing with the conspiracies is unique and I think it's cool and I also don't think it matters to Gabriel that the conspiracy might be true like cool but he needed a mother and right it's the same as with Picard and Elnor mm. last episode where it doesn't matter why all of this happened or even what happened what matters is that you're supposed to tell me that you care about me Right. There what is matters is I'm right in front here. of you right now and you have to tell me that you were wrong mm. to treat me this way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, I'm not saying that Rafi should have set aside her whole life to be nothing but a mother, but I think her obsessive personality drove her to not be a parent at all. And she's unbalanced and that hurts people. But at the same time, I love that she's not vilified for it. I just love Rafi. I hope they have a, that things get better for them. I really do too, but I think that all the work is on Rafi's side. Oh, for sure. And and I don't. What I don't want is for. <laughs> I have a little bit of. I'm a little bit scared of the mm. end of this series, mainly because of how I didn't like the end of either season of Discovery. Right. I'm worried that Picard and Rafi will be proven correct about the evil secret secret Romulans and how they've taken over the Federation and the synths were manipulated and blah, 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 blah. It will be, they were right all along. And then everybody will be like, yay, come back to Starfleet and come come see my, my daughter, your yeah, granddaughter, yeah. and everything's cool now. And it's like, no. No, no, that's not how that works. Right, exactly. No, I still want them to be outsiders and I want them to have been wrong about many things. And yeah, I don't want everyone to be wholly vindicated. And I want to see Ruffy do the work over years of, of rebuilding a relationship with her son and her eventual granddaughter and her completely adorable Romulan daughter-in-law. She's so cute. Pell. Yes. She's adorable. I, I was just like, ah, what a cute couple. They're so sweet. I wish them only happiness. There must be so many mixed Romulan Federation race families appearing by now. And I'm just like, oh, I love every single one of these hypothetical children. <laughs> They're going to be so pretty. And then you have a note here. Why isn't Gabriel with his wife in the doctor's <laughs> office, though? I wondered the same thing. But I was just like, go ahead. You have a reason? Give it to me. I have basically a headcanon, which is that with the obsessive Romulan love of privacy, uh, it's just not really done for a partner to be in that kind of, in any medical situation with the patient. And Pell was like, I'm sorry, this is weird for you, but I just can't have someone else in there with me. Interesting. Okay. Mm. That's fair. I mean, this that's, is... it's. This is in line with my headcanon that Laris and Javan have separate bedrooms. <laughs> I yes, I just I just wanted to point out that it was an interesting choice to yes. have that whole thing happen at the 
reproductive health facility and yet have him be waiting outside like it was the 1940s yeah yeah <laughs> if it, it could only be more of a cliche if he was pacing up and down I don't know I feel like that is so unusual in this day and age that it must be deliberate I'm not sure who knows it doesn't really matter I've got a headcanon to explain it that's all we need right that's fine yeah. it's all good yeah Huzzah. And I wanted to flag that uh, in Rafi's outline of her conspiracy theories, she mentioned something called the Conclave of Eight, which is new. And I, 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 I we don't know what it is. There's no point speculating Mm-mm. yet. But I, I like the term and it's something to look out for. Secret, secret, secret Romulans. Yeah. I was wondering if it was maybe a secret alliance between the secret police of like Cardassia and Romulus and the Federation and Ooh, there's eight there's eight different yeah groups yeah like I guess the Klingons I feel like Klingon secret police would just be really loud and not very secretive yeah it's, I feel like that's why we haven't seen a single Klingon in this series is because they just don't fit in with this whole cloak and dagger stuff right when Klingons want to spy on someone, they have to, like, turn themselves literally into humans because otherwise they're just not very good at it. <laughs> but yes, the Conclave of Eight is an interesting little breadcrumb that I yes. am going to assume we, uh, we learn more about. Yes, and I love spotting that sort of thing early on because I'm usually really bad at it. <laughs> I'm like wow, this man with the cigarette keeps showing up in all of these scenes in the X-Files. I wonder if he's important. Oh, well. <laughs> nah. Speaking of cigarettes, I, did you catch the bit where Rafi is like, uh-uh, when, when Rios goes to light up his cigarette? Yes. And I was like, it. good. Yes. Um, good, Rafi. Keep on that, please. Yeah. She also totally called him out for his existentialist sad boy. I was like, yeah, Rafi, we're on the same page. Obviously, drinking is not healthy for Rafi, but I would have a drink with her. <laughs> you know, she was barely in last week's episode. She had a good scene, but not very much of substance. And I, they, they made up for it this week. And I enjoy watching these people hang out, dress up, make fun of Elnor. Aww. <laughs> Rios was sort of ridiculous in this episode on purpose. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but his, his two umbrellas... <laughs> I and love. the way he was like bopping. I know. It was like, oh my gosh. And and you know how I compared him to Guy's Balter in his first appearance? Yes. He was so Guy's Balter in that moment. I was just like, he's so ridiculous. This is great. This raises the question does he have a bunch of holograms that only he can see? <laughs> it's he is an enigma. I think that there's more to Rios than we have learned. I agree. And I have to say, I like him a lot better now that I know that he's the only one who takes himself seriously. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, actually, I think that's what this episode did for me, is it became very clear that none of them take any of them seriously. Yeah. Everyone in the crew is, like, picking at... The, the thing that each of them has about each other. It's, it was amazing. Even the whole bit of gossip between Rios and, and Rafi about Seven and Picard. And it's like, ah, oh, Picard used to be a Borg. I think I repressed that. And I'm like, yeah, you, you, Rios, you're a fanboy. You have absolutely forgotten that. And then I just wander past with my Picard did Wolf 359 shirt. And uh, yeah. Uh, just these little things. It's cool. I like this group of people and yeah, I enjoy hanging out with them. I wish we got to do it more. I also missed Soji and Narek and Narissa this episode, even though I spent so <laughs> much time you didn't want to see them. Yeah. I yeah. I was like, <laughs> I wonder what Soji is up to right now. She's, uh, wondering about existence and also Romulan, not mythology. And uh, Eric and Nerissa are discussing their plot in a strangely comfortable way. <laughs> I have, it 
occurred to me, I think my problem with their plotline right now is that we never see Nerissa in any other context. Like, if she had been lurking in the background of that scene where Narek and Soji are having a drink in the Borg Cube bar, you know, mm. it, at this point, I almost feel like only Narek can see Nerissa. She is his number six, even though, like, we saw her on Earth interacting with Commodore O and all that, but that's how it feels. She's so isolated that I just want her to do more. That's fair. So I've managed to have new thoughts about characters who weren't even in this episode. Who weren't in the episode. I missed them. I didn't expect to. Aww. I, I mean, there was... I don't know where they could possibly have cut to them. No, I agree. And I think it's a really good choice to not force things into... Yes. Force characters into stories where they don't belong. And my recurring thing about Voyager is that the ensemble is too large and not everyone needs a scene in every episode. So I think this is good. I think this flexibility is a real boon to Star Trek and I'm glad that we have it. Very good. Very good. And your thesis here is this series is about the consequences we didn't get in TNG and Voyager. Yeah, as you see in our list here that it's right after the Rafi part. Mm. And so, I mean, obviously... There, every episode so far has been about Picard's consequences. Yes. But in, in this episode, we got to see Rafi's consequences. Yeah. As well. And, you know, I've, I've said often mm. <laughs> that the quote-unquote problem, and it's not a problem, so don't yell at me, internet, but the quote-unquote problem with TNG and Voyager is that it's too pat an ending because of the way those stories are told. Yeah. Very seldom do we revisit something. Picard and his Borg issues is one of the through lines that we do get. Yes, yes, and that's an exception to the rule. Right, it's an exception. This series is entirely consequences Mm. so far. It's consequences for Picard, it's consequences for Rafi, it's consequences for Data. And Seven of Nine. He's been dead for 20 years. It's consequences for Seven of Nine. And you can sort of also connect to each of the people that, that they... Like, there's little little spores that go out to all of the, all of the people that they're interacting with mm. in this series, but also all the people you can imagine them interacting with. Like, you can imagine Janeway, and what does Janeway mm. think of where Seven of Nine is now? Right, Kind right. of stuff. How did the dispersed crew of Voyager react when Echeb died? How did Naomi right. react? Exactly. I, I'm so glad you said that, because I... 100% this is like the first person I was like Naomi's gonna be so sad <laughs> but because I just you know in my head they are together in yeah. whatever again in whatever way you want to define it but they it was important to like they grew up together and they had a thing together yeah and so it was I it was like oh my and she would be sad about seven as well right so the there's there's a lot going on there. And I, I, I love the idea. And I also love that the show is like over the top consequences. Like everything is a consequence. The entire plot, mm. the, the mystery arc is about the destruction of Romulus and how that created this grimdark version mm. of, of uh, our our Starfleet and Federation. It's also the consequences of Sung's creation of Data and Law and B4 and the events of The Measure of a Man and even, and this might be pure fan wank, but I am also wondering if maybe this does tie into the control plot of Discovery and the consequences of wiping a ship out of history as has also happened to Rios's ship. Right, exactly. There's all these little threads Mm. that were dangling and they're like setting them on fire yes like they're not even just pulling at them (laughs) and it's interesting because i see so many complaints that this is a series with voyager and next generation characters and deep space nine is just 
glimpsed in terms of Easter eggs. You know, there's a sign for Clark's Bar. There's a sign in the first episode for Cassidy Yates' shipping company. But Deep Space Nine had consequences. There's no gap to fill there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we could visit Deep Space Nine and we can find out what those people, those characters are up to. But their stories have been dealt with and there were much there were fewer dangling threads because that right. was a series that had the consequences built in. Right. It doesn't fit the thesis. Yeah. Like as as much as I would love, you know, an Esri cameo or hot Alexander Siddig being middle aged and, you know, he's you know hot. <laughs> You're like <laughs> I'm sorry, just there. You know, just just being hot Alexander Siddig. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like we don't care what he does just show up like yeah yeah he doesn't necessarily have to play Bashir he can just be hanging around being eye candy uh, you know there's room Romulan. it's a big universe and there's room for all of those characters but we know where their lives were going except for Esri I think and you know that's why I would that's why she comes to mind first in terms of characters who I would like to see I think she should be the easiest too I know that the extended universe has her commanding her own ship, but, you know, you can be just as powerful as a counsellor. I Maybe... said that. Yeah. I said that in a previous podcast. You did. I have just ripped this idea off from you. Or maybe <laughs> she is the second psychiatrist to become a Starfleet Admiral. What? What did you say? Hmm? Oh, I just threw an idea out there. <laughs> just just a thought. Yeah, I don't know that she was a psychiatrist. I think she was a psychologist or whatever. But the point stands. I'm glad that I've managed to shoehorn both Kat and Laris into this episode. Very good, very good. Thank you. Uh, you have like your priorities. <laughs> I would like to do a series of cartoons that's just like, what is Laris and Jaban up to? Well, Picard has these ridiculous adventures. And... Uh, <laughs> my drawing skills are not up to it but think about it guys think about it they're like washing the dog they're visiting other wineries on earth jaban is trying to bake a souffle (laughs) that's so cute that would be a really cute little sketch of jaban trying to bake a souffle yeah i'm like what does a souffle (laughs) look like (laughs) uh next on our list is the free cloud aesthetic yeah. What did you think of it? I know I said last week that I doubt Chabon has Chabon has consumed any modern science fiction. Uh, this week I'd like to amend that too. I really <clears throat> hope the Mass Effect designers and writers are getting royalties. Because that also has a lawless outpost with a criminal queen and a complicated relationship with her vigilante ex-girlfriend. And uh, yeah, I'm into it. I just want to flag that you know, this is Omega. It was interesting. Okay, so they costuming for not our heroes and their like fake clothes, mm. but like for Jay and her guards and, and everybody stuff. who's ever around her mm. was the closest to like. TNG's wackadoo costuming right we've had so far literally wearing a see-through jumpsuit with some oddly designed and unflattering underwear underneath which is Mm -hmm. also very contemporary I regret to say but it was very TNG and the giant shoulders yes the ridiculous collar various people even her hairstyle Yes. Various people have pointed out correctly that she looks a lot like Deanna Troy, particularly yes. in season one of Next Gen. She uh, absolutely does. I read that they intended for the character to be a Cation, a felinoid, and they couldn't get the makeup right. And I'm wondering, just based on how black her eyes were, and I don't know what the actress looks like at, outside of this role, but I wonder if she is a Betazoid. And then I just need to figure out why she can't read minds. <laughs> But as I said elsewhere today, Bejazel is the kind of name you would also, you get from a culture that produced a Luxana. <laughs> I just, I think it, it's interesting to me that the super out there in your face planet mm. where you can absolutely believe Quark decided to franchise. Oh, absolutely. 
is is the is where we get the really Star Trek y costuming. <laughs> yes. Which makes it even sadder that like the, the regular characters were so contemporary yeah. in their, their disguises. Because then you think about like when the crew of Disco go undercover and it's all like cool black leather and Tilly's straightening her hair. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously they have Gersha Phillips and she is a gem and I don't know what instructions are going to the costume designer on this show because she seems very competent in every other respect but humans we can dress up too guys maybe it's that I mean Nerissa has got leather down yeah (laughs) so (laughs) they had to go they had to go very differently (laughs) for, for that we can't we can't look like Nerissa in her uh I, I, she even had the the like nemesis shoulder. Yeah, it was pretty. I think it's pretty great, really. Which is but... a nice little detail because that movie is rightfully forgotten in many respects, but did have good costume design. Great costumes, but yeah. it's probably the best part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll just be honest. But then it's the everything, the everything of it. The blinking, the neon, the the billboards that are pop-up ads. It's a bit more cyberpunk and a bit more capitalist than we usually see in Star Trek. Yeah, which I guess is, again, why Quark decided to franchise there. No root beer here. It made me wonder if, despite the myriad David Bowie references on Free Cloud, this is controlled by the Orion Syndicate. Because, as I think I've said before in this podcast, I would like to see more of the Orions, and it seems like they're a wild card in terms of their politics and their economy, and yeah, I think the Federation seems to be weakened to a point where even law-abiding Federation citizens have something to gain by going to a place like FreeCloud. It was also interesting that the FreeCloud is where the Fenris Rangers keep their money, yeah, well, I think it's always been the case that once you're outside of the non-capitalist economy of the Federation, money is a thing, but and you wouldn't trust a Ferengi bank. I don't want to be racist, but I bet they charge really high interest rates and fees. It was it was just sort of interesting that it's like the super capitalist neon planet is yeah. the only place that has a bank. It's like, that makes sense. I get it. But it was it was just interesting yeah that's kind of why i want to know who controls it and where is it right exactly yes yeah so that's that's why that's why when you said the orions i was like oh the orions have the banks okay Okay." it was it was kind of like you know the the lannisters are always like you know who who has the money? It, yeah, you know, it's like yeah. okay, okay, who, who's who's in control of this money? It's like oh, it's the Orions secretly. Okay, I get it. That makes sense. That like I like this idea of. It just makes sense. Like if we wanted to revisit Free Cloud and re- do some more detailed world building, I wouldn't be opposed. But I feel like we got enough to sort of build on it oh, as yeah. fans, I, regardless. I, yes, and I I actually don't need to know more. <laughs> I'm not opposed to knowing more, but it's also like that is not a an avenue that I need explored as much as mm. other things. We can we can let it go as a that a that's fun fair, place. especially when we have important questions like uh, does Rios take payment in Pino, and how much <laughs> how much extra <laughs> is, is is a trip into Romulan space. <laughs> Picard does not. Picard definitely does not have any concept of money. He does. He does not have a bank. <laughs> like he he hasn't put any money in a bank account. Maybe <laughs> Laris and Javon are like taking care of that for him. I assume, but he that, definitely knows yes. nothing. I assume that, in as much as Earth has an economy, and I'm sure it does have some to some extent, just not driven by capitalism. But Laris definitely handles the accounts. She just, she gives Picard an allowance. Yes. And he doesn't know if it's a lot or a little. He has no concept. 
I just love the way he talks about money with Rios. He, he just gets this expression of, yeah, I totally have a lot of money. I'm super rich. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I understand exactly what you're talking about. Mm. And he has no concept. He's like, I definitely made first contact with a Ferengi and that has to have rubbed off somehow. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's his entire... Poor Picard. He's out of his depth. He is, and it's kind of great. And it's, yet, it's... in his scenes with Seven, there's so much mutual respect there. And she she knows he's out of, out of his depth, but she still admires him. And I think that's cool, because he has done admirable things and is doing an admirable thing in trying to save Soji. Like everyone else, he's just doing his best. Yes, and I I don't think Seven... She doesn't have a vendetta against Starfleet or the Federation or, you know, or order in general. She's just, that's not, that's not her cause. That's not where she can do the best work. And so if she doesn't do what she's doing, then who is going to? Right, right. But she still respects Picard's decisions and, and choices and values. Right, and when she says, you know, the only thing worse would be giving up, that is calling him out, but in a very gentle way. Like, he's had worse in the last five weeks. <laughs> and he seemed to listen, so maybe he's maybe learning. she's the Picard whisperer. And as much as people are hanging shit on him for giving up, you consider the difficulty of his whole of the evacuation of Romulus and the trauma of failing. Like, sometimes it is reasonable to step aside and go, I can no longer do this. And he could have could have kept fighting and he could have tried to single-handedly save the galaxy, but... But would that, would that really have been yeah. the right choice either? Yeah, exactly. Would he have been in a position in terms of both ability and mental health to do any good? So now he's... He's focused on something more reasonable in, yeah. I'm going to save this one girl. Yeah. And maybe I'll end up saving the galaxy He's by saving this one girl. <laughs> you know, maybe that's definitely his hope, I think, is that, yeah. that this is going to heal all of the things that are broken. But at least he's he's thinking in his you know in a step one save Soji. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I think by the end of the evacuation, he was exhausted and burnt out and traumatized and not even really aware of it. Like oh. he goes goes home and becomes the hermit of Labar for fourteen years. Yeah, he definitely. I really think that he didn't know mm. he'd slipped so far. Like, he didn't no. know that he'd gone so far in himself that he was, you know, until all of this stuff started happening, he, and and now he's he's finally coming to terms with that. I mean, he might, I don't think that on, you know, like, on an intellectual level, he knew that 14 years went by, but on an emotional level, right. he's, he's still in that in that same place. Like, he's only starting now to come out of those feelings of hopelessness and anger and grief loss yeah i think i think this is really interesting and i do think it's more complicated than just saying picard gave up he did but there's more to it than that and one man alone if the whole system depended on one man alone that would be a failed system like people are meant yes to do this in groups i always say that people who are against big government don't understand the purpose of government. Right. It's to do things that individuals can't because individuals can't do everything. Right. Like it, it's, I, I, you know, I'm, this is, this is too black and white a statement, mm-hmm. but if you're not going to have a government that governs, <laughs> then mm-hmm. you might as well not have one. Right. So the, the idea of, a government that is about individualism is like, no, that's, that's silly. And something like a supernova that is going to destroy mm-hmm. a large section of space where a billion people live. 
That's definitely something that individuals can't help with. (laughs) That that Picard is not going to be able to solve that on his own. (laughs) No, no. And speaking of people who need to be part of something bigger, Elmore just wants a team. He's so sweet. He, I mean, and it totally makes sense. First of all, he was brought up in a team, in like a commune, let's call it. And so he's used to that. But at the same time, he didn't fit in there. Like even poor Connie said, you know, he can never actually be one of us. Yeah, yeah. Because he's not a woman. Which, ladies... You need to consi- reconsider your position here. Like, Elnor is just adorable in how much he wants to fit in, mm. and no one is is responding to that. And I just feel badly for him. This but is I, why like... they shouldn't have left Laris and Shaban behind. Because aside from being extremely useful, if you're say infiltrating Romulan space and a Tal Shiar-controlled Borg cube, they can teach Elmore how to be a Romulan like a mainstream Romulan they can teach him how to lie he was when he got his his costume and he was so excited and everyone just left I'm (laughs) excited for you Elmore (laughs) he's just he I I just love him he's so precious deserves all the costumes and also all the cats and, and all the hugs and all the people paying attention to him. You know, maybe Rafi can try stretching her parenting muscles a bit with Elnor. Yeah. They, they, I mean, we, you know, team is family. Yes. Let's all, let's all come together. They, they gotta... I'm gonna call Picard a grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> rather than yeah. a dad. They got their grandpa... And so Rios and Rafi can be the parents. Oh no. Oh no. This is going to end so badly. These are not responsible adults. I mean, no one on that ship is capable of actually being the responsible adult. It's almost like Elnor is the closest. This is is a bad place. Seven needed to stick around. Just somebody help these people, please. I mean, uh, let's. Let's look at their ridiculous plan. They're, there's what, five of them? And they're going to, they're going to go to the decommissioned Borg cube run by Romulans in order to find the secret android. Oh, uh, yeah. I remember Picard being better at strategy than this. But so... I think maybe Riker was doing more of the heavy lifting than we really appreciated. <laughs> I mean, I, I, can, I think I can look back on all of that Enterprise stuff and be like, yeah, people were reining him in. And he doesn't have anybody reining him in right now. It, They're just, just going for it. Which brings us back to our theory of our last episode of 2019 that Picard needed Riker around because he needed someone normal. Right. Yep, and now they're missing that. And, like, if they succeed... So, they're, the, the board, the, they're on the cube in the, in the preview. So, next episode, they're gonna, we're going to be seeing this. And it's the 6th of 10. Right. So, like, I can imagine a scenario where we, we end up pretty soon with, like, Soji... And potentially Kylo Romulan on that <laughs> ship. <laughs> and it's like, then it's really anyone's game. I mean, the, the, they could become the new, you know, the, the more dysfunctional but more hopeful Fenris Rangers <laughs> at that point. <laughs> the, the new Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, I like the idea of the Guardians of the Galaxy, but with like... <laughs> old people and weirdos <laughs> instead of cool superheroes exactly that's that is that's that's what that's where i see this going well, and i and honestly i would be fine with they they get there they get the last two members of their crew 
Mm. And then they're just like, eh, Federation, whatever. Let's just let's just go. We're well, just gonna go be cool and and do fun stuff. We know from the previews that at some point they visit Riker and Troy, and that is happening a lot later in the piece than I I expected. Assumed, right? They, they I, I guess they left Earth without it happening. Yeah, I'm wondering if they're going to nab Soji and possibly some Romulans and like head on back to Beta Z to hide out. Right, exactly. That's what I. That's where I'm. I'm seeing this going is that they. They get the, again, the last members Mm. of their misfit crew, and then they have to go figure out how they're going to save the galaxy from the secret, secret, secret Romulans and Federation. And that's all very good, but what I really want is, like, shenanigans of this crowd of weirdos just turning up at the Troy house. (laughs) Okay, so first... But, you know, Picard comes in and ha- they have the little scene that we've seen. Mm. And then he's like, so you, you're you okay with us, you know, staying here for a week or whatever. <laughs> and then they all come down and Troy's just like, seriously? Troy's like, I do not have time to give all the therapy all of you need. And Picard's like, this is my son. He is a Romulan. This is my granddaughter. Her father is sort of data, but not quite. Uh, this is her Romulan boyfriend. I'm actually not a big fan. <laughs> and which of these misfits do their child have a crush? Oh, Elnor. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. Everyone has a crush on Elnor. Yeah, everyone loves Elnor. It's a new sitcom. <laughs> Aww. Okay, you're tired and I need to help a friend move house. So... Let's bring this to a close and then get together again tomorrow for Enterprising Individuals. Woo! Oh, shoot. I should watch that episode. (laughs) You still have one day. You're good. I am definitely going to watch it tonight. All right. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at at antimatterpod. Sometimes we post cat pictures and questions for our audience. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us next week for Episode 6 of Star Trek Picard, The Impossible Box. And at some point in the near future, we will also be appearing on the podcast Enterprising Individuals to talk about the TNG episode The Offspring, in which Data... Surprise! Has a daughter. What? Yeah, can't imagine why that episode is important. Important? Yeah, weird. Hmm.